Well, what's up, everyone? Good morning, and welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City. Um, just want to offer you a special welcome here if you're joining us from out of town. I know we've got some people that are visiting uh, from out of town, maybe seeing family or friends or something. Uh, special welcome to you. Glad to have you here with us, whether you're uh, you know, here in person, maybe you're new, you're checking us out online for the first time as well on the live stream or you're listening to this later on. We're just thankful to have you uh, worshiping with us today um, and kind of joining in us uh, with us as we kind of walk through this sermon series through uh, the book of Jeremiah. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to get into our message today. Lord, thank you that you uh, come together with us. We, we gather every Sunday morning here, Lord, uh, as a group of people. We come together to, to fellowship, to, uh, uh, to spend time together, but it would mean nothing if you weren't here with us, God. And we thank you that we know that you do join us in worship every single Sunday, Lord. Your, your spirit is with us uh, in truth, in fellowship, and in grace, meeting us maybe when we are coming in hard places, Lord. Um, we just pray that you would be with us today. You'd make your presence known to us uh, through the, the, the hearing of your word, through the worship, and uh, through communion later on, and then through our fellowship with one another uh, after we wrap everything up today. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So like I said, we are uh, in a sermon series through the book of Jeremiah this summer. Um, and, and Jeremiah, if you know anything about uh, the book, it's about a prophet who is speaking God's message. And God has this uh, word he's going to give him. He's going to spend 40 years of his life uh, banging his head against the wall, essentially, to a group of people who really don't have any you know, interest in listening to what he has to say. But God's, uh, the word that God gives to Jeremiah that he wants him to preach is this. He wants him to uproot and to tear down. We're told in chapter 1, it means God's message of, a, of an impending judgment that's coming on Judah because of their false worship, their forgetfulness about holiness, their injustice, etc. All these things that we've kind of been talking about uh, throughout the summer. But also, that is not the only thing that Jeremiah is supposed to do. In fact, that uprooting and tearing down is supposed to come so that God can build and plant, and that's the name of our sermon series, asking what is it that God is doing in us um, as he uproots and tears down so that he may do something new in us. Uh, if you remember back to our first sermon, we said God doesn't want to uproot and tear down for punitive pur- uh, purposes, um, but he wants to, to, to do stuff that removes things in our lives that are blocking the building and planting that he wants to do in us so that we may be people who represent him well, who, who love him well, who follow him, and who reflect his glory into the world um, it, with power and with, uh, with attractiveness to the world around us. And so a lot of the series so far, kind of mirroring the book, has been a lot of more of this kind of uprooting and tearing down. Okay? There's a lot of that in the book of Jeremiah. Um, kind of forcing us to take a hard look at ourselves as people, as a church, and asking, are we really set apart for God? Are we really uh, people who are following after him with all of our hearts? But these last few weeks, as we kind of move towards wrapping up this series um, before the fall, we're going to focus a little bit more on God's plans to build and plant, the stuff that he talks about that he wants to do to create uh, what we're going to talk about today, like a hope and a future uh, for Judah. And last week, I want to you know, use last week as a kind of jumping off point for today. It was kind of a, a crucial moment in the book of Jeremiah where you have this picture of two baskets of figs. It's a common fruit uh, in the Middle East. And the two figs, one was good to be eaten, one was bad. They represent two communities of Judah. One that had been uh, uh, taken off into exile by the nation of Babylon and one who had been able to stay. 
And the ones that had been taken away, they'd been literally forcibly removed and brought to Babylon about a thousand miles away from Jerusalem and forced to, to go to work for Babylon. And it's kind of uh, this, this horrifying moment for the nation of Judah and especially for those who get taken away. And we talked about this last week. Despite them being the ones who looked like they would not have a hope in a future. They would not have a, a, a chance for God to do something and bless them. They were actually going to be the ones that God's future lied with. They were going to be the ones that God wanted to work his future through, kind of despite expectation. It's kind of a stunning and hopeful uh, message that God isn't trapped by the ways that we see the world, um, but that his grace kind of works in ways that surprise us. And so that's kind of where we left off last week. Now today what I want us to do is I really want us to ask what it, what it was like for those people in that season of exile and ask are there ways that we can kind of connect with their experience and, and connect with what God is doing for them in a way that can also give us a hope in the future, allow God to build and plant uh, in us. So let's imagine what it would have been like to go into that exile. Okay? I don't know if you've ever kind of experienced something like that. I'm going to guess. I'm just going to go out on a, on a limb here and guess no one has ever been forcibly removed from their country uh, in exile, kind of like what, what Judah is, is experiencing here, right? Okay? But I do think that there are people in our midst who might have some idea of what that might look like, at least to kind of move from one nation or culture into another one. Okay? So if it's immigrants or international students or just people who've kind of moved from one place to make a life in another, we can kind of gain some insight from that. And we, we do have people at Res City who have done that. So I kind of reached out to a few of them uh, this week to just kind of ask, like, what was your experience like? Just kind of as a way to help us understand. So I want to highlight a couple of those things. First off, Jenny, um, she's from Brazil. She mentioned how difficult it is to learn how everything works in a new country, right? It just kind of, not everything translates one-to-one. There are, are differences in how different nations work, and it's hard to learn all of that at once. Um, she talked about not knowing the social unwritten rules, including Minnesota nice, which is a very confusing thing to people who are not from around here, apparently, uh, and not knowing what, what's dangerous, what kind of stuff to, to look out for. And one of the big things she highlighted was there's like no presence or close support from family, and it just makes simple things much more difficult than they should have been. She said, anything just ha- felt heavier than it used to be when I was close with my family. I also reached out to Tiang Chi, who's from China and is a student here uh, in the United States right now. And she said some stuff, especially in how it related to her, what God had done in her and kind of through her experience of, of transitioning to the U.S. So actually, I want to read a, a quote from her and put this up on the screen for all of you because I just think it is, uh, there's a lot here for us uh, to kind of meditate on. So she says this, The most challenging aspect is to die with my old identity and to be a newborn in the new culture. This means being uh, pushed to face my fears and flaws, to reconcile with my sin, to learn new ways of understanding, and build up a new identity that endures. This is extremely difficult because no one wants to grow up from a new baby to a fully functioning adult in this new culture within three to four years. It also feels lonely as most people in the new surroundings can't sympathize with the depth of change but it transforms people. In the darkest days, people can see the hands of God at work. So one of the things I was really struck by when, when uh, she, she said that was how she spoke of, like, she used language of, like, death and renewal into this new place. 
of loneliness and of how that kind of caused her to have to face herself and how, how she met God in that transition, in that reality. And I think what she said there was a great picture of something that we see throughout Scripture and of Judah's reality that we can really connect ourselves to as we kind of, uh, you know, line up maybe experiences we've had or feelings we have maybe in the past or maybe right now even uh, that can kind of help us uh, to understand this and see what God is doing in the midst of this. Because I think the exile community in Judah has a chance to experience something like what Tiang Chi is talking about here, of this alienation of a, of a death to what is familiar, and then finding God and new life in a, in a totally new way throughout the midst of that. And in chapter 29, we read a letter that Jeremiah sends to this group of exiles living in Babylon, and it's a message about how they should find identity and live as the people that God's future is unexpectedly going to run through as they embrace this sort of uh, new transition, the new beginning that God has for them. And so today and then next week, I want to talk about that letter and what it looks like for us to kind of learn from it, to gain some wisdom from it ourselves in a couple of different ways. So today will be from a, one angle, next week will be from kind of a totally different one. But today I want to focus on this big idea. Finding God in exile leads to renewal. Okay, finding God in exile leads to renewal. The exile that Judah is in uh, will cause them to know God in a new way, through the birth of something new. And I think God still does the same for us today as well. So this exile community, you have them, they're, they're settled in Babylon, they're living in a community next to a river outside the main city. Okay? Now think a little bit back to some of the stuff we just talked about. What would it have been like for them to be in this place? All right? They're in a foreign land, they never asked to be brought to this place. They're aliens, they're pariahs, they're really not seen as anyone worth bothering about by the people in Babylon. Uh, they're learning to live in this new reality, okay, w- without any of the things that would have been familiar to them, right? You have uh, new rules to go by, new places to do simple things like find food or water, um, or to just kind of, you know, go, you know, if you, if you had a trade, to go sell your stuff, right? Just, you have to relearn all of this stuff, At the same time, they're alone, they're afraid, they have no access to the comfort and familiarity of home, and it just makes everything different and difficult uh, to go about uh, their normal day-to-day lives. And in the midst of all of this stuff, kind of probably the biggest thing is their future is totally uncertain, right? They have no clue how this is all going to play out. I'm I'm guessing they're assuming the worst about their fate as people living there. Now, like I said, we may not have these exact experiences, but I do think we all have seasons of what we could call a kind of exile in this sense. It's like a strange tension between being displaced from one thing, alienated, thrown uh, from what might be familiar to us uh, in one, uh, which, what is now an old reality, with all the pain and grief that comes from that loss, but where God does a healing and transformative and renewing work in our hearts as he meets us in that place, okay? Now, sometimes it can be due to, you know, some sin. This is why Judah had this happen to them in the first place. I think oftentimes it's just a feature of a broken world that we live in that kind of causes this to happen to us, and sometimes it's a mix of both, 
Okay, so, you know, we might be living in some big life transition. It could be uh, learning about a health diagnosis that just totally changes your life, that throws everything upside down. Uh, it could be the loss of a loved one or a romantic relationship. It could be changing cities or uh, careers or countries. Um, it, it could be the end uh, of just of something that has been a presence in your life that you've relied on, that now it's gone unexpectedly. And you have to figure out, what does it look like for me to live without this thing? I know for me, this language of, of exile really resonated, resonated with me at a time in my life in college where I kind of went through something uh, that, that, you know, I just, I just found a lot of connection to this language of exile, this experience of the people uh, of Judah. And I'm not going to get into all the details of it here, but the, the big thing is that I lost a lot of stuff that I relied on, um, you know, stuff that I had kind of seen as part of my future, some of it was planned. Some of it was me leaving one kind of career and, and lifestyle and the structure of that that I'd had and kind of going into something new, not totally knowing what that would look like. Uh, and a big part of it was also losing a, a romantic relationship that I thought was like a big part of my future. And so I'd stayed in the same place. I was still kind of finishing up college, but everything around me felt like it had totally changed. Uh, it just kind of felt like I'd lost everything that I knew. Um, and it was almost like God said to me, okay, yeah, you know you're moving into a new phase of life, but I'm not gonna, I don't want you to do that on your own terms. You're actually going to do this by dying to pretty much all the old stuff that you had there. Okay, I'm going to lead you into something totally brand new. And I didn't expect that. That was not how I thought the situation was going to go. And so I kind of felt like I was groping around a lot of times, like for about a year and a half, just really not really knowing what to grab onto. Like, how do I make sense of this reality that I've been plunged into without any familiarity? I'm dealing with, you know, grief and loss of these things on top of all of it. And really, one of the big questions I'm asking throughout it is like, where has God been in all of this? Like, why hadn't he protected me from it? Like, isn't his job to make sure I'm always happy all the time and like things are great for me? Like, that's kind of, I think, what I thought a lot of the times. Okay, and I had to wrestle with the fact that that's actually not how it works often. And so it led to a lot of long walks, a lot of late nights, a lot of loneliness, fear, I think depression, um, and, and ultimately these unwanted questions that I now had to mull over about what my future was going to be. I had no kind of guarantees. I thought I knew, right? For a long time, I thought I knew what I could rely on. I thought I knew what the, you know, the future was going to look like, but that was all gone now. And so I kind of felt like not myself. You know, what was familiar was gone. And because of all that, I felt really lonely. Because even though I still had a lot of my same friends around me, I just kind of felt like no one really understood what I was going through. Um, you know, like everyone around me was going on with life as normal, but my normal was gone. And I didn't feel like anyone really understood that. I'd been kind of exiled from my normal, if that makes sense. Like, and that was a real challenge for me. When you're in that place, you know, maybe you're feeling like you understand that. You've gone through a, series, uh, a, a, a situation in life or a season of life like that. Maybe you're in it right now, right? Everything just feels alien or different. Like you're living in a new place. Like you're living in exile of some kind. And you're aware, maybe. You're in like a crucial moment, right? You know things have probably changed for good. But the problem is you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know what's next. You don't know that God has plans for a hope and for a future for you. There's no guarantee of that. All you know is you're not in the land of promise at the moment, and you don't know if you're going to get there. This is where Judah's at right now. So what does God say to them? 
Okay, what does he say to them? Well, our, this letter that we read in Jeremiah 29 gives us an answer to that question. Okay, uh, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 to 12. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So 70 years, this is the period that Babylon is going is to rule, okay? It's not forever, but it's long enough that a new generation is going to grow up in the midst of this. And so they need to settle down. We'll talk about what it looks like for them to settle down next week a little bit more. But they need to settle into this new reality and to not try to just go back to the old one, to do whatever it takes to just kind of undo the effects of that and go back to living in the old place that they've been in. Patience is going to be very key for them patience and kind of understanding that this is, we're playing the long game here a little bit. But I imagine verse 11 stands out as I read this, okay? Uh, it's a very famous verse in the Bible. Um, it's one of the, I would say maybe the, one of the most famous verses in, in all of scripture. It's a verse that has given hope to many, many people. And the hope is this, that God is not a monkey just hitting random buttons to determine the course of our lives right, to just kind of figure out what's going to happen next uh, for us on earth. Instead, it says God has a design to what he does, and it's not a design for our peril or design that reflects he doesn't care about us, but it's a design for our prospering, for our hope, and for a future for us. Now, this verse does sometimes get, in, get taken out of context, but I do think when we understand the context here uh, of people searching for a hope and a future, longing to know that through the, the mist and shadow of exile that God is doing something, that he's leading them toward life, is exactly what this verse is all about. That's the context that God is speaking into. God has a good plan to prosper them, to give them a hope and a future. Now, the thing is, is this hope and a future is on God's terms. It's not necessarily on Judah's terms. Okay, we've, we've talked about Judah has a lot of problems. For them to dictate the terms of God's hope in a future would be a pretty bad idea, okay? And so what he's going to do for them is going to be on his terms, right? And I think that's important for us to know. When we enter seasons like this, oftentimes God's hope in a future, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but it's not always what we expect or what we would plan for ourselves, okay? But it is good. It is for a hope. It is for a future. And this is what God says he's going to do. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So his good plan is this. It is to gather them back together, right? It is to bring them back into the land eventually, right? It is to do all those things, okay? But fundamentally... And importantly, his plan for them when they return is that first they will seek after him and he will find them. Or they will, uh, he will be found by them. They will have to seek after them because they have no other choice. There is nothing else that they can do in this moment. And when they do seek him out, he won't be far away. I know for me, reflecting back on that season, again, that I, where I felt like exile was a really good word to describe it, I thought I often knew what I needed, 
right? But in reality, looking back on it, the main thing I actually just needed to know was this, because I think it's what I was most scared of. I needed to know whether or not God had plans to give me a hope in the future. I didn't have to necessarily know what that looked like, but I needed to know that that's what God was doing. And that if I were to seek him out in that time, I wouldn't do it in vain. That he would, he would be found by me in that time. And that's exactly what happened. God did meet me there, like he tells the exiles he would meet them. He was, he was found by me. And, and that's really good news. But like I said, it's crucial that it's, we understand it's not usually how we expect or always when we would according to the timeline that we would like it to go, okay? God is going to stretch us in the midst of this time, okay? Finding him, that future often means a stretching and a changing of who we are. And if we're going to miss God in this time, if we're going to seek him out and not find him, I think this is usually why, because we're expecting him to meet us in one way, and he's actually trying to meet us in some other way, okay? And looking back on that time, like, I am so glad I got stretched. I mean, we planted this church three years ago. It's around that time that the idea of planting a church got, got put on my heart. And so much of what is Res City now got, got put into motion. And again, it's not just what God has, did for me that led to, you know, the planting of this church. There's so much else in other people's lives that, that led to it. But for, for my part, I know so much of what has led to me being a part of this and seeing what God has done through Res City um, has, came out of that time. Okay? My resolve to serve God totally increased. My relation to him grew in totally new ways. My understanding of who he was was changed for the better. My, my roots that were kind of rooted into him grew deeper and deeper. And my mindset on who I was in relation to him changed forever. None of that would have come without this season of exile. And I think that's the same for Judah too. In the same way that this exile was going to get Judah out of the place of comfort and laziness and, and a bad kind of familiarity for them that kept leading them down these paths uh, that, that God has talked about throughout the book that, that lead them to, uh, uh, to, to just uh, frustrate the heck out of him. Okay? It got me out of those things. Right? It opened up a new way for me to meet God in a, in a fresh way. And so because of all this, I think this is an important thing for us to learn about these seasons of exile, is that exile is a place of new beginnings. Exile is a place of new beginnings. Exile, it seems awful. And, and seriously, like, this is not a vacation, right? This is not like a, a, not, not a fun experience, but it is actually a place of new beginnings. And I think we will miss God as, if we just see it as some speed bump on the path to wherever we thought we were going beforehand when we enter it, okay? Um, uh, and not a new beginning, that God is leading us into something new. You know, maybe, maybe this talk right now, it doesn't feel relevant to all of you, but I suspect that there are some of you who feel some resonance with this, okay? And, and, it, and if that's so, I want you to really take this away today. If you're in a season like this, God is not absent, he's not silent, he's not sleeping or angry at you. I think he's bringing something new to birth. Let's, re, let's return to that language that Tiang Chi used uh, earlier on when we read that quote from her. She talked about like being born new, the language of a baby, okay, and how that can be really difficult, right? It's hard to be a baby, especially in a culture where everyone kind of seems fully, fully formed in an adult, okay? Let's really think about the nature of that, 
Babies are born into a new place, the world, a place they've never been before. They don't know what it's like, and they struggle as they kind of learn to cope within that. But as they work through it and grow, we all know that at the other end of that is a new life coming to birth, something new that they will grow into. That, that imagery, I think, is really helpful because Jesus saw his ministry as doing something similar, bringing something new into existence as well. And he actually literally uses the same exact imagery at one point in his ministry. So Matthew 24, 8, he's talking about how uh, all these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now, he talks about, he's talking about something a little bit bigger than this. He's talking about confusion and conflict and false starts and wars and all these things that are going to happen in the world um, as this new world that he's brought, this new kingdom that he's creating is coming to birth. All right? And refers to it as birth pains taking place in the world as this new thing that he's be- being brought forth through him, through the Spirit, through his death and his resurrection is kind of coming to place in the world. Jesus didn't want to take the world back into the womb again. He was dead set on bringing his kingdom to birth, even though he knew as a result of that there would be birth pains as something new came to life. And so he's speaking at a large level, but I think this is still helpful, this imagery, this pattern of what it looks like for new things to be brought to birth because when it happens in our lives, I think the pattern is the same as God works in us to bring forth his kingdom, his new creation through us in new ways we're going to find similar experiences, okay? He doesn't want to lead us back to where we were before. He doesn't want to take us back into the womb just because that's maybe more comfortable. It's more what we're used to. But he wants to take us to somewhere new, somewhere where God is leading us that is a, has a hope and a future and, and to grow to the wonders of new life that are part of following Jesus, okay? But this comes with the fact that the baby can never get, get there if they're not willing to leave the womb, not willing to leave what is comfortable. So if you're in this place, I know, like you're going to react like a baby at times, right? With babies, there's lots of crying and pooping, right? It's tough. You, if any of you who are parents, you get this. It's a challenge to bring that baby into the new life that is there for it. But you know what that looks like when it works there. When it, when it works out the way it's supposed to, okay? The same is true for us. And like a baby... Growth may be slow and at times excruciating and not linear, but we know that eventually it will lead to this new life. For Judah, it did last many years. Like he said, this is going to be at least 70 years that this is going to happen. For me, it took over a year where I really felt like I was in that season. This just tells us how crucial uh, understanding of patience is, right? Um, These birth pains, just because they don't go away in a few days or a few months, doesn't mean we should stop praying and seeking God out. I know sometimes at Res City, we like to talk about how we live in a world that wants to microwave everything. Okay, If it takes us longer than you know, two minutes to get our food ready, we don't want to eat it. But God's a fan of slow cookers. God likes it uh, to, to, to bring things to birth in a way that, that takes its time. Because think about the quality, think about the difference between something you throw in the microwave and something that you leave in a pot all day long. Think about the, how much better the thing that you let simmer for a long time is when it comes out of there. The same is true for us, and that's why God works in that way. But it means we have to adopt patience. The call for us is for patience, to pursue God for the long haul, and as we do, to see that habit instilled in us for the rest of our lives. 
as we walk into this new thing that God is doing, we now have a habit of patience, of, of um, being willing to seek God out even when it's t- tough, endurance in seeking God out. So as we wrap up here today, I just want to reiterate, if any of you are feeling any of this, if any of this resonates with you, I think God is asking us to trust that he has a hope and a future for us in those moments. That through Jesus and like what Jesus says, he's bringing new life to us as well. Because God is committed to bringing his kingdom to earth. Our lives freshly finding God, walking into this newness, are signs of what Jesus said was coming true in the world through his ministry and comes true through our lives as well as we follow after him. And so us experiencing birth pains is not a bad thing. It's actually a sign that God is working through us just like he said he was doing through Jesus. And just like a baby learns to trust and to seek out our, uh, their parents, so we learn or maybe relearn to trust God, to follow him, to love him, and to continue to seek him out in that new life as well. So trust that the new place you're in is for a hope and a future, not for your destruction, but because God loves you. And God is bringing a hope and a future in your life and in the whole world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you, you are bringing new life to earth. Through your son, in big ways, and small ways, through our lives, through things that are bigger than our lives, God, you are bringing your new life to earth. We live in a world that so badly needs it. As we've been studying this book of Jeremiah, we're reminded of, of the need for you to work newness into the world. We live in a, in a world that is, it is broken, it is decaying, it is, is weary from sin and death and evil and destruction, and we need you to do a new work in our lives. I pray that as you do that, that you would give us comfort, that as we seek you out, you would find us, that we, you, we would know that there is a hope and a future for us. Even if we do it in the midst of birth pains, God, we can know that you are doing your work for us in our lives, for the world, for the benefit of us and those around us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.